Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Happy Sunday afternoon to you, Paula. Well, it is a nice Sunday afternoon, and the rain has moved out. Yeah, bright and sunny, but we're inside. We are. We have things to do. We did something quite different today. Yes, we did. So our granddaughter is almost 17 months old, and I believe today was the very first time I have ever eaten in a restaurant with her. We just don't go to restaurants very often. We don't, and I don't think she does either. I think being born in 2020, she might be considered a quarantine baby. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, I don't think in the 17 months she's been with us that she has ever been sick. Oh, goodness. Don't say that out loud. We're about to go on vacation with her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I thought she did really well. It was very noisy in there. And she didn't want to get in the little high chair at first, but then she did and did really well. Until some little baby behind her squealed over something and it startled her. So I eventually just put the sweet baby in my lap. And she was all better. Yep. So can we revisit a previous podcast topic just for a moment? I suppose we can. So we, or I should accurately say you created the podcast around what to do when you're injured and you can't run. And one of the segments included pool running. And we've gotten a little bit of feedback from that and people were pretty excited about some ideas, but maybe we weren't as clear as we needed to be with our method of pool running. So I just thought it might be helpful to revisit that. Okay. So I think we did a good job explaining how to emulate running and form, but maybe what we didn't emphasize too well is you want to be in water where you can't reach the bottom. I believe we discussed running in somewhat shallow water. And if you were going to do that, you want to wear some shoes but most of the time you're going to want to run in deeper water so that your feet are not touching the bottom. Right. And then, because we're not extremely buoyant creatures when we're in a vertical position, it is important also to put a flotation belt around your waist. Snug up the flotation belt tightly around your waist, and that will help you stay above water so that your focus can be on great running form as opposed to staying afloat. That's a good point. That's all I wanted to say about that podcast. Yeah, yeah. But pool running is a great alternative, and it can really get your heart rate up if you're doing it right. So what was your workout this morning? Every other day, I'm doing a big workout. And by big, (laughs) I mean I'm getting up and doing my pre-run exercises, which is preparing me run but then I'm also viewing it as injury prevention exercises and then I go for my run and then I've been hopping on the bike and riding for at least an hour and that's my tour de France time 
I'm really glad that NBC Sports is putting the extended highlights on YouTube. So I'm always a day behind, but I'm really enjoying the tour. And then every other day, so when I get off the bike, I do my strength exercises, which my physical therapist has given me. And then I take a shower, grab some food while I'm icing my Achilles, which has been troublesome for a lot of years, but it just comes and goes. But I'm very thankful to the Lord that it's behaving right now, and I'm trying to be proactive and take care of it. But just so thankful to be able to exercise. Yep, that's good. So it was about a three-hour workout today. Wow. So I mean, there may be a nap in my future later today. Are you kidding me? It's almost bedtime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when the sun goes down, it's bedtime. Pretty much around here. We get up early. Yes, we do. So I had a big running block this weekend. Yesterday did a two-hour, five-minute progression run where each 15 minutes was faster than the previous 15 minutes. And I challenged myself a little bit more than normal because I didn't want to run by myself. So I ran at Kelly's prescribed paces rather than mine. You're looking at me like, oh, no, you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) We've already talked about this, so... Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I felt good. It felt strong, and I probably worked harder than I should have, but it was nice to have company on the run. And then yeah. today, we just worked out the muscles with a super easy 65 minutes, and I don't know what our average pace was, because on an easy run, we don't pay attention to our pace, but my legs feel so much better after that little shakeout. Yeah. You've got such a, a deep fitness base. You've been building this base since, what, April was her last marathon, and you bounced back from that really well. So, yeah, it's okay to push the pace every once in a while, but you don't want to do that every day. No, I won't make a habit of that. But on those progression runs, if our paces are different, we may as well not even meet (laughs) and run together. Yeah, it's good to have somebody to run with. Yep, we enjoy it. So do you have a podcast topic for today? I've been working on one, but I'm not quite finished with my topic. How about you? Well, I don't know. What's your topic? I can't really spoil it. I'm going to save it till it's released. Oh. Well, if you kind of give them a little tease, they might want to tune in. It's such a great topic. (laughs) It's such a great topic, it's going to hurt. Oh, boy. That's all I can say about that. Okay. Well, how about we go with something I've been thinking about. All right. We've recently onboarded athletes who are not only new to our team, but they're also new to running. And so it's really caused us to have to get back to the basics and think about what it is that new runners need to know. And I guess a good analogy I could think of with this is when our daughter Bethany got her driver's permit. Well, you and I had been driving a long time at that point. So we really had to, like for me, I had to reread the driver's manual and go back to the basics to think about, okay, we are good drivers, but why? And I think that kind of applies to running as well. And I think this podcast will also be helpful for runners who just aren't sure if their form is where it needs to be. And if you're listening and getting out a piece of paper to say, oh, good, I'm going to write down 
exactly how I'm supposed to run. That's not what this podcast is going to be because like many things in sports, I don't think it's one size fits all. Yeah. And talking about new athletes, it is so neat when we get a new athlete just learning their history and getting to know them and hearing about their big goals and then watching their progress. Anyway, it's great for us to work with all the athletes, whether they're new or experienced. It's so gratifying and rewarding when people put their trust in us and we get to know them. Yeah, and I think too, as a two-coach team, you and I have talked about this before, but we bring completely different background experiences. You know, you've run as long as I've known you and even well before I knew you. I think you started when you were nine or ten years old, like running for a team. That's about right. Yeah. So much of what we will discuss today about proper running form is probably a little bit more automatic to you, whereas I didn't start running until my mid-40s, so I guess I don't have as much to dust off of the driver's manual when it comes to really thinking about what are those things when I first started running that really made a difference and what really transformed my running. And so as I started thinking about some of those things, I just started jotting them down and I thought it might be fun to just discuss a little bit about it. Yeah. Anything we can do to help people be successful with running, whether that's for running races or for triathlons and help them stay off the sideline with an injury. Let's do it. Yeah. Stay off the sidelines with an injury and just continue improving. Yeah. Yeah. You've probably heard that running with the right form, and I'm going to say quote unquote right form, is paramount if you want to perform well and avoid injury. Have you heard that? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing with swimming. You've got to have the right technique, but... Yeah. Yeah. So while there are definitely some best practices when it comes to running, I think the truth is that everyone has a unique running style. I know your running looks a whole lot different than my running. So there's really not exactly a right way to run or a wrong way to run. But that being said, there are a few basic principles of good form that you want to keep in mind because there's definitely no exact right or exact wrong way to run, but there are definitely ways to run that will almost ensure injury. And we just want to kind of go through some of that. So there are some things like your head position and your arm positioning. These things are pretty easy to tweak and change over time, and it'll help make running feel a bit easier. And then there are other things that you really have to be careful and think about if you want to change it and if you do change it, is it worth changing? And that would be things like, am I a midfoot striker or a toe striker or a heel striker? Like some a change like that is going to be a whole lot harder to do safely than a change in a head position or arm position. I agree with you. I remember, I think I talked about this on a previous podcast when we were interviewing Mike Hilliard. I went to Indiana University to a track camp when I was in high school. And I remember, and the reason it came up in that interview with Mike Hilliard was because that was my one and only opportunity to race the steeplechase 
But something else that occurred at that track camp was that I had an opportunity to watch a famous runner train. It was Jim Spivey. He competed in the Olympics back in the 80s. But it was just so amazing watching him glide around the track. Even as a teenager, standing in the infield, watching this guy doing 400s, I was amazed by his running form and how effortless he made running fast look. And I don't remember consciously trying to emulate him, and I don't know that I ever did look as smooth as he, but my form did change after that camp as I tried to run more gracefully. Yeah, and I think visualization is such a powerful learning tool. I know I've mentioned before that I actually started coaching track before I was ever running myself. So a few years later, when I did start running, I would always picture in my mind one of our eighth grade athletes who was just so quick in the mile event and then in cross country. And I would just think about her form and how it looked like she wasn't working at all. And I would just kind of visualize her running as I was out there beginning to run. And I do think it's helpful to watch the sport. And when you watch winning athletes, they're not all going to look the same. Their form isn't going to look the same. But they're fast and they're good. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be televised. (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking of watching Lionel Sanders and Sam Long duel at the end of the St. George 70.3 and just how different their running style is, but they're both very fast. Yes, and look completely different. So when you're running, actually your entire body is involved. That leads me to think that good posture is going to be extremely important when running. And you don't have to think about good posture when you're running. You can think about good posture when you're sitting and having a meal or sitting and talking with friends or when you're standing at work. I know a lot of people at work have stand-up options now and can just really think about is my body well aligned or are my shoulders relaxed but not slumped forward is my neck in a neutral position not craned up or looking straight down so if you are kind of mindful of your posture when you're not running I think that spills over and is helpful of course anytime I think of posture I think of my grandmother Collins because <laughs> she was always getting up against the wall and putting her shoulders against the wall and just as a little girl telling me what I needed to do every day to make sure I had good posture. It seems I remember her also tapping underneath people's <laughs> chins to see if there was any extra skin there. No, no, no. She did not tap under other people's chins, but... She would, when she was sitting watching television, she would pat under her own chin because she was convinced that's how you prevented a double chin. Mm. I'm sure genetics plays nothing into double chins or anything like that, but she was positive the reason she went to her grave without a double chin is because she patted underneath her chin daily. And she preferred to be just a little bit on the plump side. She did. And she preferred me to be on the little plump side, too. All right, since we're on a tangent of your grandmother, I remember one time I was walking around in shorts. <laughs> and 
I have really hairy legs. That was my grandmother's favorite phrase. Woo-wee. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think she said, you're not lacking any hormones. What did she say before she said, you aren't lacking any hormones? Woo-wee. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do remember that. I, it seems like that was when we were living in the trailer park. And so that was, you know, we were 20 years old, 21 years old, long time ago. Long time ago. Long time ago. How did we get off on your grandmother? Posture. Posture. Okay. Yes, posture. All right. So think about and practice your posture when you're not running. Carry yourself tall and relaxed. But when you're running, the obvious things are you want your head face forward. If you're running with a buddy, you're not going to be making eye contact with that person the entire time. You're going to be looking forward, keeping really good posture. You want your neck in a neutral position. You don't want to be stargazing or you don't want to be looking at your feet directly under you. So looking 10 to 20 feet in front of you not only helps you with a good neutral neck position, but it's also a safety feature to know what's coming so you don't trip. So you want your neck and shoulders to be relaxed. And this is definitely something that Craig, my physical therapist, has worked with me over the years on our relaxed shoulders because I spent so much time trying to heed my grandmother's advice that I've just carried all my tension in my shoulders. So I've been working on relaxing those. And you definitely don't want to run hunched over or rounded forward. Let's talk a little bit about the arms. So your arms should be relaxed and your elbows bent. And the movement of your arms shouldn't be at your elbow joint. It should be more in your shoulder. Yeah, I agree. Because the arms are like pendulums. And if you get a little bit of momentum on that pendulum, it helps you get a little bit of distance on your stride without overstriding. Mm-hmm. I think your arms, too, are meant to help keep you running in a straight line. So they're kind of doing the opposite of what your legs are doing. So your arms are simply counterbalancing the rotation that's happening in your hips and pelvis with each stride. But I think probably what's the most important, and this applies a little bit to swimming as well, is you don't want your arms crossing in front of your body. Yeah, I agree. But like you were saying earlier, there are all kinds of different techniques that people use. And there are some very successful runners who carry their arms really high and hardly swing them at all. But you're going to get more efficiency if you use your arms properly. Yeah. And I don't know how to properly use your arms other than you do. I don't know if you want a 90 degree bend or a much smaller angle between your forearm and your upper arm. You know, you see athletes, especially a lot of the elite female athletes, they carry their arms extremely high and tight to their chest, and their elbows are still providing the counterbalance. But you definitely don't want to run with your arms just dangling straight down. (laughs) Right. So, But I think that that angle can be different. But what you don't want, I, I think the best test is the zipper test. If you're wearing a jacket with a zipper, you don't want your hands crossing over that zipper line. Because yeah. then you're not, then you're going to be spending more time rocking back and forth instead of propelling forward. Yeah, I think that, that goes against the counterbalancing that your arms are providing. 
if you go too far and cross the center line. Yeah, definitely. Something else related to the arms. This is something that I try to do, and when I'm pacing somebody and we approach a challenging hill, I encourage athletes to focus more on their arms and less on their legs as they're trying to get up the hill because your legs are going to follow your arms. So really focus on keeping those arms moving at a at a high cadence and your legs will follow right up the hill. Yeah, and I know when I first started running, it seems like I clenched my fists and you would tell me to more relax my hands. And they are somewhat, my hands are somewhat in a fist, but I'd say I could pass the potato chip test. I could carry a Pringle in each hand and not crush it because I'm not applying much pressure there. Not crush it and not eat it. Yeah, I'm not going to eat it. That's for sure. <laughs> you can't eat just one. <laughs> I think that's Lay's. Lay's potato chips, right? No. Okay. Yep. Okay. So your torso should also be upright and engaged. Your power comes from your torso and your core. So you want to make sure that it's upright and not slouched. Which, if you're slouching over, it's going to make it more difficult to breathe. You're going to close off that lung capacity just a little bit. And we'll get to this a little bit later, but oxygen is fuel when it comes to running. So that reminds me of one of the physical therapy exercises I'm currently working on. I think this is related to swimming. My neck has been a little bit tight, so some of my exercises have me gently pulling my head to one side or the other with the other arm behind my back. And I've noticed that I have some difficulty breathing when I'm doing that exercise because just, you know, that extra tension in the neck as I'm pulling it to the side, I presume is restricting the airflow. I have to take a break in the middle and relax and then do it again in order to get the the right effect out of the exercise. Yeah. And while you want your core to be upright and engaged, you also want to think just a little bit about a slightly, and I mean slightly, forward lean. This helps you feel the momentum of running forward. It helps to reduce braking forces. It helps propel you forward. Think about hinging forward just slightly at your hips so that your lower back is more flat than arched. You really don't want a big arch in the small of your back. For most people, a slight forward lean is necessary to keep the spine nice and in line. For me, and it's probably not even visual to an onlooker, but for me, I think about my neck being neutral and I think about my chin being slightly ahead of my chest and my chest being slightly ahead of my pelvis. And I don't think about this consciously as much as I did when I first started running. But when I first started running, I really actively thought about catching up with my chin and my chest constantly to help propel myself forward. Does that make sense to somebody who's been running since third grade? Yeah. Yeah, you'll sometimes hear people say that by having that slight lean, that that gravity is helping you move forward. Whatever you can do to help your legs progress down the path. So we mentioned it earlier that changing something like the way your foot strikes the ground would be a, a long and slow process and maybe not even worth the effort. 
because you can buy trouble if you're changing that for no good reason. Now, if you're working with a physical therapist and have had a gait analysis and they're having you make slight changes, then follow their lead and stay within their guidelines. But for most athletes, there's no reason to do this. The best thing to do is find a shoe that feels comfortable and works for you, is designed for the way you strike. There's definitely shoes that are designed for more of the heel striker versus the toe striker or the midfoot striker. I would say find a local, homegrown, customer-friendly place to buy your shoes, one that has a great policy about returning shoes. If you're going to a shoe store and they're making you feel bad because you're returning a shoe after a couple of weeks because it's not working for your style, then you probably need to shop somewhere else. And there are some online running shops that have a two to four week return policy, no questions asked, and that's always nice. But they're not going to give you that same level of customer service to help you select the right shoe. Exactly. Because it definitely will take some trial and error to find the right shoe, especially if you're brand new to running. So it's just nice to have a local shoe store where you have running experts or people extremely knowledgeable. And there are some running stores that actually have treadmills on site and they put you on the treadmill and watch your running form and then suggest shoes based on that. Yeah, and your physical therapist may be able to recommend particular type of shoe, a cushion, a neutral, a motion control type shoe. Yep. So get a great shoe that works for you and then stop worrying about the exact way your foot hits the ground. However, are you surprised I have a however here? The rest of the story. The rest of the story No matter which region of your foot you strike the ground with, your foot needs to land underneath your body and your knee should be flexed when you make contact with the ground. You definitely don't want your foot landing out in front of your knee. You don't want that leg to hit the ground while it's extended because that is going to put on the brakes, first of all. It's going to slow you down. But secondly, you're just driving that force back up through your leg and just asking for a knee injury. Yeah, that's a good point. So when you land with the knee already flexed and the foot striking beneath or maybe even slightly behind the knee, this helps to absorb the shock wave. If you take too big of a step, which is called overstriding, You're going to really increase the force on your knee instead of efficiently distributing it up to stronger areas of your body like the glutes and the core. Yeah, and if you go back to having your torso tilting slightly forward, having your body positioned in the right place above your foot when you land is right in line with that. And it's, it's all about moving the body forward. And, and what you were saying about overstriding or having your foot land in front of the knee, I mean, that's just breaking. That's slowing you down. And it's fighting against the momentum that you have to move forward. Yes. So for a visual, I like to ask our athletes to think about 
the foot landing under or slightly behind the knee. Think about your foot already beginning the process of pushing you forward as it strikes the ground. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Can you visualize that? (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like that's what I saw when I saw Jim Spivey running Mm -hmm. around the track. Yeah. So keep that momentum and push off the ground to generate power to thrust you forward. You always want to be thinking about propelling your body forward and not bouncing up off the ground. You will get plenty of time off the ground if you're propelling your body forward, but you're just going to be going in the right direction. Yeah, our our goal is to not see how high we can bounce. It's to see how quickly we can move forward. Yep. So think about engaging the glute muscles as the primary force generator. Once the trail foot is off the ground, you're going to engage the core, the hip, and the pelvis to drive the knee forward. Yeah, and that's not something that comes natural for everyone. So that's something you you have to acquire over time if that's not something that you learned as a child when you started running. Yeah, and that's one thing that we try to rotate into our athletes' training cycles is we try to incorporate drills that are going to really help them cognitively think about engaging the glutes, the core, and the hips as key components to running. How about a quick talk about cadence? Okay. Okay. Your cadence is the number of steps you take per minute. And I know on an earlier podcast, I would say 180 and you would say 90 steps per minute. And we were talking about the exact same number. Some people talk about cadence in terms of how many times their right foot strikes the ground per minute. And some people double that and think, how many times do my feet strike the ground per minute? If somebody's talking about a cadence of 90, they're probably talking about a one-foot count. And if they're saying 180, they're talking about a two-foot count. Yeah. It's just, for me, when I'm counting steps, it's just easier to count one leg rather than two. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's done both ways. You read yeah. articles that refer to it one way or the other. One of our athletes who has an Apple Watch, which at this at the time of this recording... Training Peaks doesn't pass structured workouts to the Apple Watch. So we're prescribing to him to do some 10-second strides with 30-second recovery, something like that. So in his notes for that workout, knowing he has an Apple Watch, I suggested he count 20 steps. I think it was 15 seconds strides. And I suggested counting 20 steps and not worry if it's exactly 15 seconds but I really don't want him running quick with his wrist up in the air looking at his watch. So did you specify that that was 20 steps with the right foot? or? I think I said one foot. It doesn't matter if it's the left or the right. Right. Yes, we just want him counting 40 if he's counting both feet. <laughs> you got to count fast. All the things. So back to cadence. There's some debate in the running world about whether or not there is an ideal cadence for runners and how beneficial is it to actively change your cadence. you have any thoughts on that? I think if you look at endurance runners, professional runners, 
regardless of the distance, they're going to have about 90 steps on the right foot per minute. And yeah, so, so I think it, I think like there is a range there, but I think in the research that I did, if you average all of those, it's going to be right around that number. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately, your best cadence is going to be different than someone who is way taller than you or way shorter than you. So leg length is going to make a difference there. Overstriding, which can, again, put a lot more pressure on the joints, happens when you have a lower cadence. So you just want to be especially careful with a lower cadence. So generally, a really low cadence is problematic. Of a, It's a symptom of overstriding and not using each foot strike to propel yourself forward and landing in that flexed knee position where you're already propelling yourself forward. It could also be a symptom that you're bounding instead of running, meaning that you're getting too much height off the ground. Right. And then we do have a couple of athletes we've had to work with because their cadence is super high and they're just more shuffling their feet and not really getting that forward thrust with their back foot. They're not really using any power to propel themselves forward and so their feet are just popping right back onto the ground, almost shuffling instead of running. Yeah. Yeah. But unless you're in pain or training to get a competitive edge, which a lot of people are, like you were to try to get to Kona and I was when trying to get to Boston, it's not necessary to really stress about your cadence. It's much more necessary, though, to correct anything to do with overstriding. Yeah. Yeah. If you're just a casual runner, then, you know, a short cadence is going to be fine. It's not going to lead to more injuries, but you're missing out on some of the, the speed that you may be able to get otherwise. Yes. So altering your running form without hurting yourself requires time and is definitely best done under the supervision of a professional who can help you manage and make meaningful, small, incremental changes to avoid injury. There are people who have been educated on the mechanics of the body, and, and especially if someone with that background is an athlete themselves, they can really help you fine tune your form. Yeah, and I think most experts agree and often focus on strengthening the gluteus medius, which is a hip abductor muscle, and it's responsible for moving the leg away from the midline of your body. It's located on the outside of each hip. Think side of the butt. (laughs) I'm patting it. You guys can't see me. Its main job is to stabilize both the hip and the thigh as your leg rotates with every forward stride. It's a crucial muscle for you to strengthen as a runner. But the other muscles in your rear end, the gluteus maximus and the gluteus medius, are important too. Remember, the glutes are a hugely powerful group of muscles, so keeping them strong will help prevent other areas like the lower back 
from taking on more work than it can handle. I know you do a lot of lateral band work to, I do. to target those muscles. I also like to do the clamshell exercise. And then sometimes I'll just lie on my side and do lateral leg raises, sometimes with a band or without a band, just to keep those muscles firing. Yeah. And then for the glutes, I like to do a lot of bridge work, whether I'm either bridging up from the ground or uh, bridging down from the couch, different ways to really engage those glute muscles. I'm not as big of a fan of squats as I age because I'm just extremely protective of my knees. But if you do them correctly, like I know you use a slant board, that tends to take some of the tension out of the joints and really target the glutes. Yeah, and I'm really working with my PT to to build that strength and focusing on the exercises that he's recommending and the form that he's recommending. I'm letting you get it all figured out, and then I want you to give me three exercises rather than the 92 that you're doing today. (laughs) Hey, I'm working through some issues, and I'm trying to be proactive to prevent future issues, but then I'm also, like you're alluding to, I'm building a knowledge base of what I feel like works and what doesn't work and, and how to do it. Yeah, you're working through another book as well, testing out all those strength exercises. So you're definitely dusting the dust off of the driver's manual and getting back to the basics on some of that stuff. Yeah, because for runners or triathletes, you're most likely, if you're going to get injured, it's going to be when you're running. So whatever we can do as coaches or as athletes to ward off those injuries is a plus the key is consistency over time. Yeah. So we talked about the importance of building those muscles around the hips and the rear end area, but working on core strength and stability is also extremely helpful. Your core should activate before you perform any movement. You really should be engaging the core, whether you're swimming, biking, or running, I think, because it has a big job to stabilize the entire body and keep it balanced. A weak core can definitely lead to overuse and pain in other areas. And again, Craig talked about this, but most of the time when you're having pain in your ankles or your knees or your quads or your hamstrings, A lot of times it boils down to something well above those areas, like weaker glutes, a weak core. A tight neck. Yeah, or a back that doesn't have the mobility that it needs. So while the glutes and core are key players that all runners should focus on strengthening, also remember that running is a full body sport. All of your lower body muscles are so important to keep strengthened, especially your calves and your quads. You definitely don't want to be overusing your hamstring. We have a lot of athletes that when they're new to running or just start increasing their volume of running, that we have to be really careful that they don't overwork their hamstrings. Yeah, our bodies are amazing, but they can sometimes be fragile. And we have to just walk a fine line between improving and getting hurt. 
Yes. So here are some important things to think about if you're new to running or thinking about altering your running form a little bit. The first thing is, what is your goal? It's always important to have goals. Anytime you're starting something, maybe it's just to be social, or maybe it's to lose weight, or maybe it's because you want to be competitive. Maybe it's because you want to raise money for a charity. There are lots of different goals. Yes. One of the things that we've had to really think about, and this is easier for me to think about probably than you, is we talk about, especially with our experienced athletes, rate of perceived exertion, where when we want them to go out and work on aerobic threshold, we'll assign them a rate of perceived effort of four, or we just kind of sloppily call that your easy pace. Well, if you think about it, it becomes your easy pace. But when you're new to running, and I know you'd have to dig all the way back to third grade for this, but I can just remember when there was no such thing as an easy pace. Like I was doing all I could when I first started running just to successfully run one lap around the middle school track without walking. I think as experienced runners, you have to be careful calling paces well your easy pace yeah that makes sense and and i do remember a time when you really struggled to run and it's just amazing how far you've progressed it's been a long fun journey of of small progressions i think i was working at it for a good six or seven months and it still felt hard and still felt hard and one day and i don't even know why you brought it up but you asked me well, what's your breathing pattern? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And you said, well, as you're running, I want you to count. Like, you didn't tell me what it was, could be or should be or had to be or anything like that. You're like, well, next time you go out to run, I want you to count how many steps you're inhaling and how many steps you're exhaling. And we mentioned earlier in this podcast that running is very aerobic, Until it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Your muscles are going to work much more efficiently if they have air to efficiently process because... That's fuel. The the muscles require oxygen in order to generate work. That's kind of like a car requires gasoline. Your muscles require oxygen. If they run out of oxygen, they aren't going to play nicely. Things get uncomfortable. So anyway, I came back and I was really proud I had counted my steps and I said you have to correct me if I'm wrong here but I think I got this correct I was breathing in two steps and breathing out three steps it sounds right yeah and you know what you asked me to do switch you asked me to reverse that and I was like there's no way <laughs> which I don't know why I mean I never really paid attention to it before but it did take me a while of consciously counting, breathing, relaxed, getting air in, three steps. And and when I say steps, I'm counting every foot strike. Right, and I do too when I'm talking about breathing patterns. Okay. Now, well, first of all, I'll say it really did transform my running. I felt like the next three months in my running, I grew my fitness as an athlete way more than I had in the previous six or seven months. And so now, I mean, obviously, you don't want to sit there and count all the time, although 
you know, my personality, I subconsciously am counting everything accidentally sometimes, but, and now it's just natural for me when I'm doing my zone two RP4 runs, it's just a natural breathing pattern. And sometimes I'm even relaxed enough where I'm breathing in four foot strikes and out three foot strikes, but I always am taking in oxygen one extra foot strike, then I'm forcing it out. Yeah, and I try to do the same thing. Breathe in one more foot strike, then out. But we've talked about on previous podcasts how our heart and lungs get in shape more quickly than our legs. Than our skeletal and muscular system. Yeah, than our skeletal. And it reminds me of the breathing pattern I've been doing when I've been running, running my easy pace right now. I've been breathing in through my nose for five steps and breathing out through my mouth for four steps. I've gotten to where that that is just comfortable. But when I'm comfortable picking up the pace, that breathing pattern is going to accelerate. And I don't know if I'll still be breathing through my nose or not, but the uh, important part is, is that you're getting as much air in as you can, and then you're getting the carbon dioxide out as quickly as you can. That might even be a big key too is when I do a 3-2 or a 4-3 or whatever the breathing pattern is, it causes me not to be lazy about getting the old out. The carbon dioxide. (laughs) Yeah. Like I consciously breathe in the oxygen, but then I also have to consciously a little more quickly and forcefully get the you the you stuff out of my body. <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things that is a challenge for newer swimmers is breathing, but more specifically getting rid of the carbon dioxide so that you can bring in the next inhale of oxygen. Right. And, and if you don't get the carbon dioxide out, your body starts to panic. Right. And I think a lot of people struggle with the fact that when you're swimming, breathing is a continuous process. You don't ever hold your breath when you're swimming. You just have to figure out the inhale and the exhale. And it is different with breathing too, is I do inhale the oxygen for a shorter period of time. Well, you have to, yeah. unless you're doing the backstroke. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, most triathletes, if they're having a good day, are not doing the backstroke. Well, well, I will say that the year you did the Southern Indiana try, 70.3, the girl that came out of the water 25 minutes before everybody else, no, that's an exaggeration, a couple minutes before everybody else, she was just out there straight up showing off doing the backstroke. <laughs> I think she did the butterfly a little bit too. Yeah, I think she, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so <laughs> swimming was her specialty. Obviously an accomplished swimmer. Yeah, she was a good triathlete as well. She, yeah, uh, I, I think, think she went to Kona maybe the same year you did or she the did. year before. So I think we've talked a little bit about form. We've talked about the lead leg and where you want it to land. We've talked about with the trail leg. I don't know if you want to say any more about that. Like, what do you, and I know I'm putting you on the spot here because you've been doing this since third grade. Like, if you had to break it down, I'm calling the trail leg as you're pushing off, do you ever consciously think about anything that that trail leg should be doing like from the moment, the instant, right before it leaves the ground? I don't think of anything 
consciously, but you know, its purpose is to push you forward, not push you up. Yeah. So two things that I thought about, which really helped me to fix my speed. One, I'll say with the leading leg is I consciously think about my toes staying just a little bit below my ankle because that really helped me to quit overstriding. And for some reason, that and thinking about going ahead and accelerating forward before it actually strikes the ground helped me get me landing with a flex knee in my foot below the knee and below my body. So that's one thing I really, I think, helped me not overstride. And then with my trailing leg to make sure I was getting that push off, again, I thought about my toes being the last thing as they're leaving the ground to really engage and push off. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to think of it. And then once that trailing leg leaves the ground, then I consciously think about Am I engage, like, did I engage my glutes with that final push off? And now am I using my hip and my pelvis and my core in driving that leg back forward? And you can always think about one thing at a time, really, and really think about you can't fix all the things at once. Yeah, you want to focus on one area of an improvement at a time. Yeah, and I know something that you've mentioned a lot is you don't want to feel like you're a real heavy runner. Like you want to feel a little light on your feet. Yeah, light on your feet, graceful, just floating along the path. And I would say, which I don't know if this has always been the case or if this is something you develop purposefully, but I would say that you're definitely more of a four-foot striker. I am, and I feel like that subconsciously changed after I was at that track camp and I saw what an excellent runner looked like and I I tried to emulate graceful running and and that's what it ended up being yeah and I don't really remember there being a a lot of thought about I need to do this I need to do that it was I want to run gracefully so would you classify my foot strike as mid or forefoot I would say more on the forefoot side do you agree Yeah, I think so. And again, it probably, I don't think I consciously thought I want to land on the front of my foot. I think just the runners that I emulated, like the little eighth grader I was talking about earlier. And then of course you, I mean, you were the best runner I've known since middle school. So I probably just subconsciously visualized what you guys were doing. And I will say this too, one of the best ways to improve your running form, especially when you're going out for the quote unquote easier days, if you want to improve that form, do a few strides and think about what that smooth, graceful form looks like when you're up tempo a little bit. Because I think your body more naturally runs properly when you're going fast than when you slow it down. So we tell our athletes, your easy days or your RPE4 should be at a comfortable pace where you haven't broken form, good form. Yeah, and there's a, a balance between running so easy that your form is poor or running so fast that your form is poor. You want to be somewhere in the middle, again, to use the same terminology, You want to be running gracefully. Yeah. And a lot of times doing some up-tempo, 
short up-tempo repeats up a hill will develop some of those muscles in that good form because it's really hard to overstride if you're going up a decent incline. Yeah, and it helps you with that knee lift as well on the front leg. Yeah, it helps engage the glutes on the trail leg. I like it. We like hills. We love hill repeats. I love those quarter mile hill repeats you were giving me in that one marathon training cycle. Haven't done those in a while. Haven't missed them, but whew. So overall, what improves running efficiency? Obviously all the things we just talked about, but there are some other things that are really important as well. For example, and really this is the foundation for keeping your body healthy anyway, and that is proper sleep. Sleep is not overrated. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what activity you're doing or even if you're not athletic, sleep is key to a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, and there's just, again, so many studies on the long-term effects of sleep deprivation. Just don't do it to yourself. Yeah. And then I would say second to that is proper nutrition. And I would just say before you put something in your mouth, consciously think about is this fueling my body? Is this providing me the nutrients I need for a healthy lifestyle? Fruits, veggies, lean proteins, and the most natural state in which you can eat foods is the best way to eat them. Yeah, and if you're buying something in a package, the fewer the number of ingredients, the better. And then, as always, we encourage avoiding processed flour, sugar, fried foods, sodas. And then finally, which we've touched on this a bit, and this can be done through running drills or through other avenues, but strength training is just really important, especially in the glutes and the core. You want to do all you can with your glutes and core to relieve any load you can from the hamstrings, quads, and calves. And then that also protects the knee and other joints. Injury prevention. Consistency is key. Yeah. If you want to reach your big goals, you want to see fitness gains, you got to stay off the sideline. You got to stay healthy. And it's the sometimes the little things that go along with your training that make a big difference. Yep. And then the uh, foam roller, the harder you can stand it, the better. But foam rolling is definitely your friend. It takes uh, good care of your, mus- your main muscle groups. It hurts. When you start, but if you stick with it, your muscles will soften, become more pliable, and it won't hurt so bad. Yeah. And there's a there's varying opinions and research about stretching, but I think most people agree that you have to be really careful about stretching cold muscles, but it is nice to do some sort of dynamic warm-up before you hit the pavement. I know you like to do bicycles i've got a routine of about 20 25 minutes that i like to do before i run and it's there's a lot of dynamic exercises in that but i conclude with some light stretching after i've warmed warmed everything up yeah so some people encourage stretching before you run some people encourage stretching after you run but it is good to keep your body uh, maintaining some flexibility and even some yoga can help with that not like the 
Eastern religion, weird type yoga, but you know, the stretches. The, the flexibility exercises. Yep. So the scripture that comes to mind when we're talking about all of the small things that are going to help you improve over time, it makes me think about the scripture in the 16th chapter of Luke, the 10th verse. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, you can find us on Facebook by searching for RYR Endurance Team, and we'll let you into our group. You can ask questions. You can suggest podcast topics. We would love to interact with you. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.